Who can tell me the theme for this morning? I mean, it's literally right there. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) We're singing a new song. This is the this is the line from Psalm ninety eight. It's the very first line. Uh, four other psalms begin this way. Sing a new song. Five thousand years later, we're like, well, you know, like four other psalms. I'm pretty sure begin um, the line, "Sing a new song." That command to sing a new song shows up 11 times or so uh, throughout the Bible. You know, a lot of times the prophets will command us to sing new songs. Sing a new song. You know, over the last year, the last two years, we've changed a lot of things in our worship services together. I think a really good example of something that was something we wrestled with together was the Lord's Prayer. You remember this. And, I, and I'm sure that many of you are like, oh, like, bring it back. Is it hailing? What's going on? But when it came to the Lord's Prayer, one of the vulnerabilities that I invited you into was what is it? What does it look like and what does it mean and what is to gain and what is to lose when we gather together and say things in our common voice that many of us don't believe? I think in some ways that's like malpractice. Bad practice. That it it builds in us some poor concepts of theology or of our community or of God. And, you know, we talked for a long time about the Lord's Prayer and looked at single, single lines and asked questions like, do we really believe that God is our, 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 our Father? Do we, do we really believe that um, God resides in a, in a, physical, in a physical heaven? Um, what do we actually think about a impending kingdom coming? And it's one thing to do that with the Lord's Prayer, which, you know, has been a hard thing to change. Um, but it's another thing to do it with our music. Because here is where you really get into the sentimentality of it all. You know, many of us have sung these songs from the United Methodist Hymnal our entire lives. And anything you do for your entire life really starts to take hold. You know, uh, just hearing one of the songs that we sang this morning, uh, New Wine, it it kind of uh, compared it or juxtaposed it a bit to another hymn. These are a couple of lines from Blessed Assurance. You know this song. 
Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. (laughs) Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I'll try to not add my commentary. But what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Perfect submission. Perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels ascending, bringing from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. There are some sweet and sentimental things about that song. Echoes of love. Visions of mercy. Love it. It's also contributed to really poor theology. Which means poor beliefs about God. And poor beliefs about how God is calling us to act and be together. For example, there's nowhere in the Bible that the word rapture is ever used. And yet, it has created almost an entire movement of people that believe that the sole goal is to convert enough people before we're all raptured and swept away. Whereas the biblical vision is one where God doesn't call us home, but God comes here and calls this home. Which kind of contrasts against songs like, I'll fly away. And of course, I and I think many of you as well are also really comfortable with embedded theological ideas like God purchasing us in a blood sacrifice. I often think that God's most essential attribute is love, that God is, is love, and to me that doesn't sound like love. That Jesus is somehow negotiating with God the Father, and the only fair deal was blood for life. You know, we, we sing new songs. We sang new songs this morning. And even over the course of our lives in church, for the last 40, 50 years, we've sung new songs. And I think one of the reasons why the Bible and the Psalms invite us to sing new songs is because over time we believe new things. I think the Bible assumes that belief and life in the Christian community is not static. That maybe the lullabies or the Sunday school tunes that I sang when I was eight shouldn't also be how I'm stating my theology and my beliefs when I'm 80. I'm guessing that how you thought of heaven when you were a child is different than how you think of it now. How you think of Jesus or God, death, life is different Maybe even from when you were 30 to where you are now. Maybe even different from when you were 50 to where you are now. You know, last Sunday I talked about this old house 
and how because we believe that God is still doing new things, our space changes. And as a church, we've made a decision to change our space more so that we can gather in a new way. And soon we'll be able to meet in a, in a circle, essentially, or at least a half circle. And you'll be able to see other people's faces as you sing. You'll be able to hear better instead of reaching out your arm and no one's there. We're not going to be shoulder to shoulder, but you'll feel a part of something. A sign that like we've, we've, we are changing. And I think that's true for our songs as well. And you know, in the 90s, change in music was really all about just the instruments. You know what I'm saying? You experienced that. When we split, like, you're over there, we're over here. It was about the instruments. The style, the pace, the volume, the speed. But now, it's about the congruence of it all. It's about the fact that if we're inviting people to hold vigil for the transgender community, can we faithfully sing songs that loud the superiority of a male vision of God? If we are proclaiming a vision of equality across the world to try to see less violence, less war, can we faithfully sing songs that say that like we have got it right? Patriotic songs of our God is the greatest. Yours stinks. We are changing. We are growing. You are growing. And so should our expressions about God. But maybe in the end, this isn't about singing at all. Over the last several years, I've encouraged you to read the Bible literally. Not literally. To ask the important question, what type of literature is this? And this, of course, is a psalm. It is a poem. I'm not quite sure I believe that God needs you to literally sing new songs in order for God to be pleased. As if like God's up there with a little Excel spreadsheet and be like, well, that was one from 2017 and seven from 1969. You're, you're failing in this. I don't think that's what is meant by the command to sing new songs. You know, every time that that uh, command to sing a new song shows up in the Bible, it's, it's coupled by one of two things. Either one, God did something new. And now so should you. That's what happened in Psalm 98. God has done something miraculous and is proclaiming a new vision of justice and equity. So sing that new song. God has done something new and so should you. Or you've been put to the test 
you've been brought to the edge. You've had to go through changes. And so sing a new song. You know, (laughs) we hear that, and yet so often the church is made up of the same old choruses. You know, I, I think that the Bible believes that to experience God, to truly experience God, is to be changed in some way. Which means that having been a part of something, uh, a gathering, uh, making sandwiches, uh, an artistic expression, it has left you with something new to say. Because you're alive and you've experienced it. And saying the old things won't work anymore. Because either A, God has done something new, and now you're supposed to be singing about it, telling that story. Or B, you've gone through changes. So sing about it. You know, I I think it's true that many of us have grown in our theological thinking. And a lot of the songs we sang when we were younger aren't songs that align with how we think about God now. But alternatively, I think for many of us, after decades, we haven't changed at all. And when we talk about change, when we prophetically read the words of the Bible saying that God is still doing a new thing, what is heard is the same old chorus. I don't like this. Don't take the pews out. Got to bring back the Lord's Prayer. You know, when a community is going through changes, when a community is going through changes, any community, family community, church community, work community, it is strengthened in hearing new songs, by which I mean hearing new expressions. When a company takes a risk, and then after that, you can hear new songs of this change, new stories, new expressions, it is emboldening, life-giving. And yet, so often, we still rely on singing the same old choruses. You know, as a pastor, I don't assume that people can change. I have learned that most churches, by which I mean both the entity itself and the people that make up the church, will sooner die than support changes. This is what I've learned. But I have also learned that People can learn. And while change may not come swiftly or easily, what matters most, maybe ahead of even being able to just change, is being able to learn change. And so I think it is true for you that the invitation to sing a new song is an invitation for you 
to learn a new song together. That as we go through changes, physical, structural, procedural, you're given an, an opportunity. Old chorus. New songs. A new expression. And I, I, I understand that for many of you, you have no idea what that new song would be. <laughs> like what, 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 is it, what would it sound like for me to have a new response or a new expression, a new reaction to a change? When those old choruses are so deeply instilled in us. It's hard. So my invitation for you is simply going to be the one that Jesus used. Come and see. Come and see. Come to the table. And learn a new and faithful and living song for this church in this day.